The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome to another episode of The Things We All Carry. This is technically a bonus episode, but not really an episode, if that makes sense. This is my interview as a guest on the Five After Midnight podcast. That show is hosted by Stephanie, who happens to be my guest on this week's episode of The Things We All Carry. I thought I would put this episode out as a prequel of sorts to Wednesday's release. Stephanie is a local firefighter medic from my neck of the woods here in Virginia. She hosts her show under the umbrella of fire engineering, so go ahead, head over to their show, check out the variety of hosts and topics they offer. What follows is our off-the-cuff discussion about mental health in the fire service. I want to thank Stephanie for taking the time to sit down with me twice now. She had her hands full wrangling our combined ADHD and my scattered brain, and I look forward to releasing her episode of The Things We All Carry this coming Wednesday. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you love or care about. Y'all enjoy this show. Welcome to Five After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. So it, the floor is all yours. You're in charge of this thing. So I get to sit back and be a guest. It's funny because I asked you to do my podcast and now I'm making you record it all on your equipment. And, it's, which is and, fine. And do all of us. <laughs> I'm getting the glory. You're doing the homework. There like you go. This. If I had known this was an actual thing, I would have done it more in high school. Welcome to my show slash your show. Yeah. Five Thank after you. midnight. Things we all carry. Diving right into it. So... I really wanted to talk to you after hearing an episode you did with a buddy of mine, buddy named Brian. And I think there's always in the fire department, two sides to every story. There's the people who are great at research and legislation, and there's the boots on the ground who are just the sheer grunts with the obscenities and doing a lot of that heavy lifting in that movement with changing culture. And to me, that's what you are with mental health, just what you've been doing, the things I've heard so far from you. So before we get too deep into it, you should probably give your name, your info, who you are. I would just give my name, like I go by stack. It's just what I've picked up among the year, uh, across the years. I'm a firefighter for going on 10 years now. Local agency, I try not to mention where I am just because I've already pissed them off a few times. I started the, that little uh, Instagram page, The Objectionables, and some people might know me from there. And it was just a way we actually we just started talking about it before we came on air that the schedule change that we had in in our in my county because we went to a 
You went to my schedule. Went to your schedule, we'll which, which is miserable. We went from a 24-48 with a Kelly to the to what we call the Nova schedule. Okay. So it's the 56-hour work week with day on, day off, day on, day off, day on, four off, which is just miserable in my opinion. Multiple holdovers in between. In multiple holdovers. That. And yeah, that's where is. that's the territory we're in now is we're going to holdovers as well. And so I noticed that there was a... There was a gap. There was somewhere that there was a voice that was needed to just start pushing buttons. And so I decided to push buttons. And as the years went by and it morphed into something, it became aware to, it became obvious to me that mental health was what we needed to focus on. And so I changed my focus. And then I also got some free time off for being a little too vocal at certain times. And it's to the best of us. Yeah, which is okay. I dealt with it and we moved on from there. But the fo- then the focus did change to a purely almost a mental health status only. Um, and the reason that I had Brian on the show was because one of his friends was killed himself in, I believe it was January 21. And I'm, I might be wrong and Brian will kill me if I got that date wrong. It was either 20 or 21. But his name was Matt and he killed himself. He was the fifth person in our metro area to kill himself within a year. And I noticed that we were having people, it ran the gamut from rookie because we had a rookie up in, I think it was Leesburg area, kill himself. And then we had veterans that were killing themselves and it was career and volunteer. And so it's just, I was tired of not talking about it. You kind of read between the lines and they say the firefighter passed away unexpectedly. Well, to me, that tells me we it was suicide. That yeah. And that's just because the department or the county or the state or whatever doesn't want to admit it and doesn't want to deal with it, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's just we don't we just don't want to. We want to ignore that issue. We ignore the mental health side. I don't know what the reason is, but I got tired of ignoring those and not bringing them to light. And so that's where this idea was born from, was that fact is that we need to talk about mental health. We need to make sure that people know it's OK to talk about it. And we need to make sure that people know they're not the only ones going through this shit. One of the things I love the most about your show is it is very raw and real, but if you, and every story is unique, I would never compare one story of trauma to the next, but the fascinating thing about it is if you listen to a lot of them, which I do a lot of the mental health peer training. So for me, it's, I don't mean this to sound cold or callous, but it's great human homework for me to listen to. And it's amazing to watch with each unique story, the patterns emerge the patterns of the things we do wrong that are hurting and affecting our people. And I think you are excellent with the show, with highlighting that with a lot of questions you ask. I think you've picked up on a lot of the patterns and therefore you ask some of those questions to tease that answer out. And that's been great. Once again, I hate to say homework, but homework for me and something I've passed on to other peers so we can really see here's the mental trauma, here's the mental toll in action. Listen to this voice, listen to this story and pick apart where we went wrong, where we failed this person. I think we fail people every day in this job, unfortunately. And I think if anybody's listened to the show throughout and they know, and they've heard this story before, but we had an ambulance or excuse me, a medic crew and an engine crew get banged out for a pediatric code. It was zero six in the morning as soon as we started. And it was a nasty little code and the baby died and they had worked this baby for a bit. And like I said, the baby ended up passing away, but the battalion chief that was in charge didn't even go to the crew to, to check on them. Never, we, I, a couple of us even called the station and said, hey, are you going to this to the, his aide? And his aide was like, he says, he, there's no need to go. There's already somebody else there. And so no, that's your people. There's a reason to go. Because I firmly believe that an incident like that happens, whether it be that or, or a significant fire or I don't know, it could be anything, to be honest with anything significant like that needs to be addressed immediately. 
And I thought that crew probably should have been given injury time and taken out of service and given whatever therapist they needed. But they were just expected to clean up and go right back to work. We actually had something very similar like that in a county that I won't name. I wouldn't say I work for them or not. And I only heard through the grapevine. And so I texted a buddy of mine. He was on that shift and it was pediatric code. Same kind of thing. We really put our heart and soul into a pediatric code. So I think over overall, it was worked for about an hour. And I texted an acquaintance, wouldn't even call him a deep friend, but I said, hey, are you okay? And then I had a curiosity. I said, hey, who's checked up? What resources have you been given? This must have been two, three hours later. And the answer was none, which is unacceptable to me in every way, shape or form. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. We just, we carry the weight of pediatric suffering differently. Um, and the way we used to do it isn't acceptable either. You, we yanked you out of the field before you even had right. a chance to. We sat you down in front of a burnt out critical incident stress management person yes. who tried their hardest to talk like a firefighter, but their jokes were inappropriate. Their, it just, it wasn't good. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna make that mention that there's, there has to be a happy medium between you must sit down and talk to this peer support group or nothing. There has to be a medium in there. It has to be that happy spot where someone can find what works for them. What it really, here we are solving the fire department problems like all firefighters. What I think it should be is just take that officer aside, say, hey, here are the resources for your people. You know your people better than anyone else. You have 30 minutes of out of service time. If you need more, let us know. Absolutely. You can have up to two hours. Let me know if someone needs to go home. And once again, here are the resources. I think that's a great option, but it's, we've never even come close to that. No, we haven't. And I think we still have officers who don't even really pay the actual credence to mental health. Instead of giving them resources, they some of them still don't even recognize that there's a need to talk. No, I had a bad call recently, and this is going to sound horrible, but I don't remember what it was. And the officer up front did the old, hey, everybody's okay. Yeah. If I wasn't, how am I supposed to tell you now? You already right. told me I was okay which means, right, my rig is staying in service. I don't have to do any paper. It wasn't like my officer's amazing, but that was just a little telling. One of my guests, I don't know how many episodes back, I'd have to look up. His name was Sean, and he puts it best. He said, hey, we just get in that rig, and I'm really just waiting for that moment where everyone gets on headset, doors close, start to go down the road, and so I can just look around and whisper, man, that was fucked up, wasn't it? And just to I see who starts to talk. Yeah. And it's, it's, he's a senior guy, and for him to say it, gives credence, not credence, but gives permission for that junior guy or that rookie to say, well, yeah, that was, how do I deal with that? And so until we're comfortable saying, hey, that was fucked up, we're never going to get anywhere. I think one of the things that's, I don't know how to delicately phrase this, so I'm not going to even try. Really fascinating about your show is you see all the memes about how women sit around, listen to Dateline podcasts and watch true crime shows. Your show in a way has that hooking element of its human drama and its human suffering. So it draws you in and that sick side is horrible as it sounds. And then people end up learning so much in terms of how mental health affects every single one of us. And I think that's the great aspect of it is has this hook of we're addicted to human drama and suffering, but at the end it's okay, shit. Everybody's going through this. Everybody's dealing with something at some point in their life. Yeah. And I'd like to give people a chance. There has to be a reason why they they had this diagnosis or some haven't been diagnosed with anything, but a number of the guys have come in or girls have come in with PTS and they were diagnosed with it or they were 
they obviously had some sort of trauma and they've been to therapy or they're trying to get into therapy or going to therapy. And that piece of that true crime that I try to draw out of them is just, it is a hook, but it's more of a, this is why it happened. And I'm try it's a fine line. I don't want to glorify those as much as it might seem. As someone asked me about glorifying it and it's not what I'm trying to do, but like you say, it's just a, this is where I've been. This is where I'm going. That that's, I just felt it was necessary to have that piece in there. Now you and I talked on the phone before we started all this about a week or two ago, and you actually had a whole life and background before the fire department. Tell me about that. For, I don't know how many years. It's uh, I've always worked with children. I've always worked with... So you were naturally prepared for firefighting. Yes, very naturally prepared. Is either And usually it's uh, children or adults with disabilities. Um, I finished up that world or that side of my life working with kids and young adults with autism. I, w- I did what was called behavior consulting. So it was applied behavior analysis. And I would go into homes or workplaces or schools and observe behaviors of students or young adults and then create the behavior plan for modifying some of the, the increase in positive behaviors, decreasing negative behaviors. What we worked with were, I hate to use the term as the worst of the worst. It was the most violent of the kids in the schools, the ones that were on the verge of being just removed completely from the school system. And so this was their last chance to get some sort of an education, even despite these disabilities. Um, so it was a, it was an intense kind of job. And I always like to joke that I joined the fire department because it's safer than what I was doing. Do you think having that background of spotting behavior, essentially, your job is to know patterns of behavior in that job. Do you think that when you came in, made you take a step back when you saw our culture and how incredibly just messed up it is with how we approach behavioral health? Yeah. Um, pause and say, whoa. Not only for ourselves, but for the people we serve. And I think that's what jumped out at me more than what we do to ourselves. Initially, at least I, I see I see medics interact with autistic kids and they not even they don't even know that the child is autistic and they do it completely wrong. And then they want to blame the child for acting out. There's a reason why this child's acting out. And mostly this happened because, I don't know, frankly, you're stupid and you need to get your shit straight and you need to be able to work with some special populations. And until we make some changes there, then we're always going to see that. And so I try to educate people on some of that as well. But. I definitely saw the treatment of firefighters, the, I don't know, the pattern of behavior, like you said. So there's always been that pattern of let's not talk about this. Let's sweep this under the rug. Let's um, let's just get back to work. It's funny. You talked about how people, unfortunately, medics specifically treat kids who are on the spectrum, ADHD and autism. I think one of our biggest failures is failing to identify the coworkers who are on the spectrum. Because we have way more of them than we realize, and way more of us than we will ever realize. We make the joke that all firemen have ADD, but the funny thing is a lot more of us than we realize do have ADHD. And the sleep deprivation and the constant chaos and being not being on a set schedule, what that does to most of us who don't realize that we have it, that will actually send us down a dark behavioral path, and we won't even know why, which is, it's one of my best friend's for almost 15 years, recently got diagnosed. And it was just walking that diagnosis backwards with their behavioral health and saying, oh, no wonder in these situations you go on a route that I can't understand and that you couldn't understand. And I think we really fail because we don't talk about going to therapists or anything like that unless we're on the, the dire edge, right? We talk about, hey, you're suicidal, go see a therapist. We don't talk about 
hey, are you feeling these weird things that are off and you're not understanding why this is your reaction or this? I think so many of us would be shocked if we went and talked to someone and they said, oh, hey, yeah, you have this tendency. You're this on the spectrum. You need to work, do this and this to stay mentally sound. I firmly believe that not just firefighters, but I, yeah, I know we have to use the word spectrum, but I think everybody's somewhere on the spectrum. How high functioning we are on the spectrum, I don't know. I'm probably on that spectrum somewhere. I pick up on little things. That's my spectrum acting up right there. And I like to say I'm ADHD and I like to use it as a crutch and shout out to my therapist if she's listening to this because we had this discussion the other day. She asked if I would get tested and I said, why would I do that? And she said, because you'll know if you have it. And I said, but I'm not going to take medication. I'm already dealing with what I have. I said, and plus, what if I'm not ADHD? What do I say? What do I say my issue is then? So I'm a little nervous about actually finding out if I have it or not. I, so I'd like to say that I am. And it has affected my own, I guess, my own course or my own journey to, to treatment as well. Um, I'm going to go back to a few years ago, the first pediatric, the infant code that I ran. And I didn't think anything of it. And I just, I let it go. And then I couldn't figure out why I was raging at home for about a week until it hit me. Oh, it's that baby. And it, it was the cold look in his dad's eyes that told me that that guy, that fucker did something to the baby. And I didn't understand. Mm. I didn't understand where the rage was coming from and why I was angry at everybody. And so I dealt with that on my own at that time. And I still refused to go to therapy. I still didn't think it was right. And I was being urged to go to therapy. Hey, you need to talk to somebody. And I didn't want to do it because I thought I was impervious. We're the fixers. We don't need fixing. And uh, it wasn't until this year that I finally broke down and went to therapy. So I, I'm a new convert to it, even though I've been preaching mental health for years. And it's a weird dichotomy. Something that also isn't, and you give me your opinion on this. Yeah, we don't teach that I've always been fascinated to see how it would work is we don't teach people to come up with their own de-escalation plan. Hey, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have bad nights. Not only are you going to get murdered on the unit all day long, but you're going to run this bad call. Or even if you don't run that pediatric CPR, or that horrible trauma, you're going to see an old couple financially struggling. And you're just going to see human destitution, which we don't really ever name as being a huge deal, but it is. To see human beings struggling hits us harder than we'd like to admit. And we never teach people, hey, all these things are going to happen. What's your plan for when you walk out that door? How are you going to handle it? We tell people, go work out, right. do this, do that, go relax. But we never have a true de-escalation sheet of thing number one, go home, take a shower, recite yourself, take a nap, do, you know, write out your own. I wonder what a difference we would have in behavioral health if we told people you are going to be screwed up every morning in some way, some days big, some days little. What's your plan? Yeah, and that's something that needs to be started at the academy academy level. Or if there, another place that we don't talk about is in a medic class. If your county is putting the paramedics through their own certification class, we don't talk about, hey, we know that you were an EMTB for a while, but now you're going to be talking to family members about the, somebody who just passed away. That's going to be primarily on your shoulders. How do you deal with that? We're not teaching people how to do how to deal with that, and then we're not teaching them how to work on it. For themselves when they leave work we actually do the opposite paramedics are the worst with the inappropriate jokes and i can't tell you just the amount of everything was downplayed made into a joke just the most horrifying things by all the instructors and not bashing them it's just the culture that that we've always raised what do you really hope that people are taking away when they're listening to these episodes 
I guess it's twofold. It's probably more than twofold, but initially I'm not alone. I, so someone, I've heard it before. Hey, that, I didn't know other people had these feelings. I didn't know other people had this anger. I didn't know other people had these thoughts of self-harm or whatever the thoughts are or the experiences. They all think that everything is, I'm the only one experiencing this. And so they don't talk about it because they're worried about being ostracized just because of what they, what they think is their own suffering. So I want people to realize that we all have some level of it. And then I want people to realize, unlike me, who was so resistant for years, it's okay to ask for help. It's, I, I was having a discussion recently in public about a call that I'd run years and years ago, murdered kid. It was just a really messed up call because when we got there, we thought the child, small three-year-old was dead and we rolled her over and she was very much alive. And it was a horrific call. We ended up keeping her alive until she got to the emergency room and she died. And we handled it in a pretty healthy manner, actually. We all went back to the firehouse. We sat in the day room with the lights off, and we had each gotten a pie. And we just sat there, and we ate in silence, <laughs> and carb and sugar loaded ourselves to death. But it was, even though we weren't speaking, everyone in that room was having that same shared experience. Nobody was isolating in a bunk room. Nobody was sitting in the bay. It's just, we were all right there in that room. And I had talked about this somewhere and my paramedic partner from back then sent me a text message and he said, Hey, you and I never talked about this because we were just kids back then. This was 13 years ago. He said, you and I never talked about this, but I got messed up after that. I started doing this. I had to go to therapy. It messed me up in these ways. And I would have never, ever thought this was the wise ass of our shift. And so that you're not alone thing is huge because we would never guess the ones who are struggling. A lot of times we can look at someone and see some people can wear it on their sleeves and the shift can be good or bad about reaching out to them. But the thing that scares me and the reason I love your podcast so much is it makes us hyper alert to what about the guy that is always cracking the jokes and is always checking on everybody? Who's watching out for him? Right. Because we will never know what's going on in his head and what's affected him. And I think your show does a good job of taking a mix of people from all walks of the fire department, the ones who are more vulnerable from the start to the ones who are the popular guy and saying, nope, it happens to us all. Right. And like I said, that's exactly what I want people to know. It, we're all doing this. We're all going through this and it's okay. You know, what's not okay is to keep it to yourself and kind of stuff it down. And that's primarily why I do it. I was in the gym this morning and I had somebody walk up to me and this is, this was the first for me. I was, had a hat on, had headphones on and I was in my own world and I look up and he's standing in front of me and he says, you're the guy that runs that podcast. I was like, yeah, how do you know that? And he goes, oh, I've listened to a few. And I was like, oh shit, thank you. And I stood up and started talking to him. And then he says to me, because of your show, I'm I'm starting to deal with my past traumas and I'm starting therapy. And so that's, that is reward right there. I never, I never expected it to be that piece. I just expected to get some stories out there and let people know that this is what's going on. But to hear something like that makes it so much more valuable. That's huge. You and I were talking earlier about politics in the fire department, how they mirror yeah. each other and they go to extremes. Mental health cannot afford to be that. So when we have the people in the field, who understand the nitty gritty like you and who are bringing that to light. And we have, 
I hate to say the cleaner side of things, cleaner hmm. side of things, the people who set up the programs. <laughs> has to be the cleaner side because they're wearing white shirts. But that side of things is needed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You need someone to set up programs. You do need yep. someone to set up education. Where do we meet in the middle? Where do we make this, take this from super gritty, super clean to normal in the middle? Hopefully it's at a, it's at a kitchen table in a firehouse and that white shirt is sitting there asking what's going on and they have ears that, that they're willing to use and not just hear, but listen to what, what we're saying. What are you living in? I, I know. I work with a crew who's not bashful. So when we have someone with a white shirt sit down with us and ask what's going on, we're going to tell them what's going on. They don't come to our firehouse um, anymore. Yeah. A couple of them don't come to my firehouse either anymore. But listen, I've, I opened a discussion up with a couple of buddies of mine two to three years ago about marijuana and was told that's ridiculous. It'll never happen. And now we have where you are now. Yeah. And now we're allowed to use THC. So, yeah. So I think that's where it is. It's just keeping this stuff in the open and keeping the discussion and keeping the accelerator down so that they can't just escape it. Um, and I know I like to call them the good guys. I know some of the chiefs are out there that, that do listen to the show and are actually proactive on mental health. I know that there's a chief that made sure that everyone in his battalion had five to 10 minutes with one of our, one of our counselors from what we call the resilience center. So they come out and you have, you have an allotted amount of time. I don't care if you go in there and talk about what happened in the game last night, or if you go in there and say, yeah, I do need to talk to you because I'm feeling suicidal. They all had the same amount of time. So no one's looked upon if they stay in there shorter or longer. It's, But you know what the genius thing about that is? You know what? I can go in there and I can talk about the game last night, but I now recognize your name, your voice, your face. And when I do get into that mental trouble, I now have already an open door with you that I've established. And I established talking about something completely comfortable. Yes. That's genius on that part. Yeah. And I gave him, I definitely give him credit that he's one of the more proactive guys in in the department. And there's a couple that have reached out to me and said, "Um, we're listening, but they're at a level where they can't really affect too much change. They can affect change on a battalion level, but not on a department level yet. How do you feel about changing how we mourn suicide? And what I mean by that is I feel that the three suicides I have witnessed in my career, and actually there have been more, but the three that I know way more about, it's it's never a problem with the fire department. The fire department never had anything to add to it. It's always, well, yeah, they had something going on at home. We all have something going on at home. We all have home lives and living with other human beings and having family members is dramatic as heck. Yes. We're all always going to be having something going on at home. How about all the shit we see on a daily basis? You cannot tell me that that absolutely didn't put them into overdrive at home. How much do you think it would help or hurt to just be more blatantly honest about that instead of shoving it all off on that, finding a different way to mourn those lives. Oh, I definitely think it would be helpful. I think that's it's that dirty secret still that we talked about earlier. It's they don't want to admit that what we're doing and how the fire departments treat us leads to some of this, these depressions or anxieties or even suicidal thoughts and ideations or actions, I firmly believe that it's a cumulative effect of, yes, you've got your home life and sometimes it's pure shit on the outside, but what the fire department can do is they can create and foster an environment where, okay, have some more openness and have some more, have some more different, have different therapies available to people. Um, but just to admit, yeah, this job takes its toll. And I think I hesitate to, to talk about, don't hesitate, excuse me. One of the things I think about when fire departments think about suicide is if we admit that something's happening here, 
that's going to hit our bottom line. And they're going to think, oh, are we going to have to pay out LOD benefits or whatever benefits because it can be traced back to what we do here. And I think that scares the fuck out of fire departments. And it should. But it also tells me that they don't care about us. Well, and the sad, sick thing about that is it puts it in people's mind that this job can never take me to that edge then because I have a good family life. And obviously they said it's family life. That's why he committed suicide. I believe it. I'm never going to get to that spot. And I think so many firefighters are then surprised when they end up in that spot because something a friend of mine said to me years ago that's always stuck with me. He was a combat medic and a nurse was, I forget how it came up. And he said, I have a plan for suicide. He said, every medic has a plan for suicide. And I thought about it and I said, holy crap, he's right. We've all seen so many suicides that if we were ever on that ledge, we, I think, instinctually would know. General public has to sit there and come up with a plan. And I just think we're so numb to seeing it and so used to the many ways that we see it committed that we would know just like that. And we don't have that extra caution time right? that the general public has. Coming up with that plan, securing the resource, whatever, we're right there and we know all the different ways. And that to me is terrifying. So to say someone only committed suicide because of this one reason, we're on that ledge looking over, we're already ready. Yeah, it's definitely, I won't say definitely because I've um, obviously I don't, I'm not in the mind of people who've committed suicide. I will have to assume it's never one reason. There might be a reason that pushed them to the to over the edge, but to get to that point, it was a cumulative effect of all kinds of shit in their lives. And then he throws sheer exhaustion from right. the Mando, the COVID fatigue, everything of the past two years on top of it. We're sitting on a mighty high shit sandwich right now. Yeah, it's scary. Like I said, just the fact that some people are just hanging on and you just never know what's that. What's that? What's the tipping point for everybody? You've really normalized you going to therapy. Do you feel like you've gotten anything? Do you find yourself on calls handling things slightly different? <laughs> calls? Not on calls necessary, but after calls. Yeah, I take some time to reflect. I take some time to maybe use some meditation, some breathing techniques just to say, okay, that like go back to what Sean said, that was fucked up. How do I deal with that? Or sitting around the firehouse and I can feel anxiety build from maybe the bullshit. The chief's coming around saying, for example, we have a Mando policy now. And then this, they're up in arms about people using sick leave. We're using sick leave because you're mismanaging this, your department and you can't cover your shifts. This is your fault, not our fault. We're We're in a hiring crisis. Yeah, we're doing what we can. Sorry, you don't like the fact that we're using it, well, called secondary leave, but... Sorry, people are going to do it for their own mental health. We're right there with you. So once I start to get a little worked up about that, one of the things I do with therapy is some acupuncture in my ear. And the first thing she does is she puts these little beans on or peas or whatever on the back of my ear. And it's just adhesive. And so I find myself rubbing my ear when I start to get to that point where I just have to remind myself to calm down, to process the things. The other thing I've done is I've like all firefighters, we all like to drink and I've tried to cut down on that quite a bit. So I'm in the middle of a sober September right now, but even before that, it was limiting some of that drinking as well. And now I'm taking advantage of the fact that we can have THC in our system. We're not there yet. Yeah, you'll get there. You'll get there. In 20 years. Yeah, well, let's not, let's hope I'm sooner than that. I'm retiring in two and a half, so good luck to the rest of you. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I'm I'm now that THC is part of is out of our drug panel. I've moved on and I want to talk about other drugs. I want to talk about much more beneficial drugs for recovering from traumas. If we have ketamine is legal in all 50 states, why isn't it available to firefighters? Just looking at what the military is doing. 
compared to what we're doing for trauma, we do have one option and that's talking to someone right? versus all the different ways that are out there for some reason that firefighters can't use, even though it's okay for the military, but we could start a, a whole different thing. Oh yeah. That. We can name them ketamine. We got mushrooms, LSD, DMT, Ibogaine, ayahuasca. They're all out there. I haven't even gotten to do pot yet. So right. calm down. all of those psychedelics are great therapeutic, three therapeutic medications. Do you find now having been through therapy that, yeah, it's a subject matter expert who can tell you, Hey, this, or have you thought about this or that, <clears throat> or is 80% of it just getting those words out of your system, just getting those thoughts out of your system. It was funny. I was, again, I'll go back to the fact that I was hesitant. I didn't want to do this, I, but I got to the point where I knew I had to do it. Oops. And the reason I knew I had to do it is because I was walking around. I was going through a lot in my personal life. I was going through a lot in, in, in professional life. A lot I brought on myself and I write a blog as well. And so part of it, one of the blogs I wrote was about chaos and how we like to live in this chaos. We, we as firefighters don't know how to live in a calm. And so we're always seeking a chaos because that's where we're comfortable, even though it puts us on high alert for X amount of time and it's not healthy. We like that chaos because I come to find out that a lot of that ADHD part is in the chaos. We can focus. In the calm, we can't focus. I write about that chaos and I knew I had to go because there was a point where the chaos was overwhelming and I would literally be at work and I could say, oh, fuck, I'm about to crack. This is not me. This is not what I do. And coworkers noticed it and were pulling me aside saying, what the fuck is going on here? I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And finally, I was like, I'm not good. I got to do something. So I went to a failed therapy appointment. I was like, that is not for me. But then a buddy of mine said, you got to try out the this. Her name was Lisa from the Resilience Center. She's fantastic. Just go and talk to her. I was so hesitant. And I walked in there that day and I immediately started talking. I immediately started crying. And two hours later, <laughs> my first session was done. And I was like, holy shit, that felt good. And that relationship's only fostered because I'm able to be honest with her. And she's able to call me on bullshit. I'll tell you a story. And it's one of these things I have to phrase carefully. When 9-11 happened, I was 16, not involved in the fire department, any of that. None of my friends were, none of my family were. And my dad was asked by a buddy of his who had a volunteer organization. He said, hey, I'm headed down to the Pentagon. Can you come down and give me a hand? And my dad, because of 9-11, some other stuff happened, said, I can't. I'm going to send stuff. The guy didn't, I don't think he knew my age. I think he thought I was my older brother who was 21 at the time. So we went down there, ground zero of the Pentagon. I wasn't doing anything great. I was being a little gopher helping out with this and that. But I didn't think about it for years and years that being a 16 year old and saying, hey, you know, what's that smell? And having the fireman next to me say, let's, well, you're right next to the morgue tent. That's what it is, kid. People smell like charred hamburgers, don't they? That stuck with me whenever I thought of firefighters until I joined the fire department. I hated firefighters because of that comment. But I never sat and thought that, hey, it wasn't the things I did running around being a little helper gopher. It was, well, I was hanging out on my little break, checking on the USAR teams, making sure they were okay. It was, it was part of my gopherhood. Never would have thought anything of it. Never in a million years. I wasn't doing anything useful in any way, shape or form. I wasn't seeing any things. I was just around and hearing things, which is nothing compared to what we do for a living. And I think it was... A year or two ago, went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum and didn't know anything about the Pentagon was in there whatsoever. And luckily, we were still wearing masks, thank God. Went around a corner and saw the whole memorial for the Pentagon, and I started hyperventilating. First time in my life that had ever happened. 
and all these scenes, images, sounds, all these things from years and years ago hit me that I would have never guessed were in there because that is such a slight level of trauma right. compared to what we go through on a daily basis. And that experience changed everything about therapy for me. And I went and I talked to a friend of mine who's a therapist about it. And I still I need to actually go talk to a therapist more regular. We all do. Everyone in the world needs therapy. But that right there told me, all right, I know I'm sitting on some legit things that I've seen at work. So if something I never would have imagined caused me to hyperventilate in public and literally I had to put myself in a corner. Right. Like I said, thank God we had masks. It right. was dark. I called my brother and I said, I don't know what's going on. I do, but I don't know why. And that was eye opening. And that put me on a high alert to take those things that I do know are bad in my life and put them in a different category of you have to go deal with this so that you're not sitting on scene one day of a call and something happens and you're just no control, hyperventilating, crying, all these things. Right. And I think if you work for the fire department, I think you've seen those things. Yeah. I think we all have something inside of us that if we run into the right situation again, we're going to find ourselves in pretty pickle. Yeah. And I think f for me, the, the first time I realized this job was affecting me was I was bossing a truck one day and we were coming home from a grocery trip and there looked to be a fender bender on the other side of the road. And I told the driver, I said, this should flip around and get some protection. We'll check out and just make sure everybody's okay. So we put ourselves on an auto accident there and we f throw up the lights and we, I get out and I walk up and there's, there had been no accident, but there had been a dog hit and the dog was in between the two cars and that hit me harder than anything I'd ever seen in the fire fire service. And that's when I knew things were starting to boil up for me is because I started crying and on scene. I was like, I can't do this here. What the hell is wrong with me? And that's when I should have known that I was at a point where things were already starting to boil and I didn't act on it then. And it lit it fester. And then more in my personal life and more in my professional life starts adding. And it's that old adage of, I guess with the way it's described is you know, your pitcher's full and the more you drip, drip, right. and, the, and then the, as you're going to get an onslaught of addition to that pitcher as well. And that's when it's really going to spill over. And at that point, you can't keep it from affecting others. And that's where that's the point that I got to earlier this year. And so then for me, therapy was just a point to talk about it and then to, to learn it's OK to have these thoughts and it's OK to let them out once in a while. But once you let them out, let's let some of that steam off. Let's like close it back up, put it back in. We can deal with it. And then you pick something, pull it back out, open that Tupperware. And you know what? I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm going to throw that away. And so then you don't have to put it back. And so that's been for me talking to her has been that reprocessing bit of what do you need to deal with? What are you done dealing with? And what do you just need to put away for right now? And then we can deal with it later. And that is a, for me, that was a good way of thinking about some of the things that have happened in my life. And I'm talking, I'm talking all the way back to second and third grade where I can talk about my issues with my dad and issues. My mom is now going through stage four lung cancer. So it's, that's part of what's hit me. And it's taking everything and saying, it's okay to think about all this, but let's not think about it all at once. And let's not just sit here and dwell in it because dwelling is not the healthy part. It's having someone come in and triage it for you. Yeah. And that's triage what, and spring clean. Yes. And that's what she does. So that's what I found helpful with. And the, just the talking helps as well. Thank you for having this show. It's huge. Not just for normalizing what we're all, the things we're all carrying, but also just from a learning perspective, just helping those of us who want to help others see what helped, what didn't, what the patterns are and all of that. And just normalizing the hell out of mental health because we all have it. It's just 
let's teach this our generation <laughs> might not be savable, but for the next generation, just yeah. I think this generation is savable. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Which generation are we talking about? When I are, yeah, we're in two different generations. <laughs> <laughs> but for the younger ones coming in, starting to get it in recruit school, like you said, and just normalizing the hell out of it. Yeah. And I go back and I tell a story there. I tell a story a couple of times is when we really started talking about mental health and I played my first episode for my crew. They were the first group to hear one of my first episodes and they sat there slack jawed. They're like, holy fuck. It's very raw and real. And they were just blown away. And then we had a rookie who's 25, 26 years old. And he came up to myself and another coworker and said, I think I'm going to get a therapist. And it took me back. And I said, why do you think you need one? And he said, I just want to get ahead of it. And I, that that's Perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear people like say. Five minutes with that therapist. And so if you can do that and have and that game plan. Exactly. Set. And so then I realized that this kid, he knows this crew. And so we're open and we talk about everything. And if he plays his cards, he won't know a fire service that doesn't talk. And I think that's invaluable for him. That's amazing. Thank you for helping to well, get the fire department to that point. I'm a drop in this bucket. So hopefully people are listening. Hopefully they will. Thank you. Let me, I'm going to ask you my two questions before I let you out of here. Should have known that. So you're not going to get away too easy. I'll explain to your audience why I call this show The Things We All Carry. There's a book by Tim O'Brien and it's called The Things They Carried. Which I still need to read. And it's a fantastic book based on Vietnam. It's about a platoon in Vietnam and the things that they carried into war. But what he does a masterful job of is what they carried out of the war as well. We all take on those. We all take on the wounds and they become scars or or whatever. And so I I called the show The Things We All Carry just because of what we carry out and I like to ask all my guests, what's an everyday carry that you have that you feel naked without? So for me, it's two things. One is my tattoos, which if I'm missing, then I got a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a bigger issue there. <laughs> bigger issue. Call SVU. Each one of my tattoos is a story. And it took me a while to actually build out the sleeve on my right arm because it was as stories in my life as I was able to put them in picture format. I had an amazing tattoo artist. They went on my skin. And there's also lots of just constant life reminders. Those are the ones that went on there that help keep me focused and on the straight and narrow when my head gets a little little in the clouds or the angries come on. And then the other is my phone for music purposes. Two reasons. One, I do have ADHD, like every other firefighter out there. And I I absolutely can get overstimulated. So just the needing to retreat and Mm -hmm. reset for five minutes. So that's my version of meditation is turning on a good song, turning on a podcast for a couple minutes that really helps me remove and recenter. But also I think life deserves a soundtrack. So just always having that music in when you're walking wherever, it's just great to have that taking an everyday ordinary day and turning it into something a little more movie-esque as you're going along. I can actually have a great change in the way we view just our everyday. What's your favorite artist right now? Favorite artist will always be The Cure. We're just going to stick with Oh, you're going to go The Cure. Okay. <laughs> going to go old. All right. I wouldn't tell you an artist right now. I'm of that age group where it oh. stopped with certain music at a certain age. So you're stunted. I'm stunted. <laughs> stunted, but in many very different categories, at least. All right. So let's talk books. I like to get my guys, guys and girls and listeners, I like to give them books, book ideas to read. What's a favorite book of yours? One or two, whatever you might be reading. So you and I were talking a little about what your retirement plans are. John Steinbeck wrote a book called Travels with Charlie. I think I started reading that book at about age 10 and I've been very lucky to travel the world. So that book gets broken out and taken with me wherever I travel, even if I'm not reading it, it's okay. just always traveled with me. So my plan is the same as yours, which is van down by the river when I retire, go see the world. But Travels with Charlie is 
there's something there's an amazing human element to that story because okay. John Steinbeck is traveling the world, but he's talking to people and he's learning their stories. And it's such a cool book from that way. So that will always be my main book. It's funny you say that because one of my ideas for a podcast is that everybody has a story and I wanted to take my little portable with stack. Yeah, exactly. I want to take my portable recorder and that's what I want to do. Like I had an example, I was waiting to get to a concert in Richmond. It was pouring down rain and here I am the least prepared person in the world. I didn't have an umbrella and I have to get somewhere and a homeless guy walked by and he has an umbrella. I said, Hey, how much did it for me to borrow your umbrella so I can walk across and get my car and I'll bring your umbrella right back? And of course, he didn't want to give his umbrella up because he's homeless. He doesn't have a lot right. of possessions. And I said, will you walk with me? And he said, hell yeah. So he popped his umbrella up and we got close under the umbrella. And, and in that instant, you know, that crossing the street, basically, I started to get his story. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Everybody has a goddamn story. And I want to know people's stories. And so it's funny that you mentioned that book. That's exactly something that interests me to do for another show. So you got a new book to read. I'm going to give you a book to read because you mentioned your tattoos have tell your story. Dr. David Griffin. Have you heard the name? I believe you had him on your show. Yeah. Yeah. He's on there. He is, I haven't had him on yet. He, his show hasn't, hasn't been released, but I did interview him. He was the first in engine driver for Charleston 9. And everybody that's a firefighter knows what I'm talking about when I say that. But his book called Tattoos and Trauma is fascinating because it's he does some research on first responders and the tattoos and why they have tattoos. And so I think it might be interesting to you. I'll definitely be checking that out. There you go. Thank you for answering the questions. Important two weeks. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingswealthcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves, and remember to check in on each other.